This is a Holy Baptist Church podcast, bringing you into a community in which everyone is welcome, lives are changing, and Jesus is King. Thanks for listening with us today. We would invite you to subscribe so you can keep up to date with us. But for now, we pray you enjoy listening for what God has in store for you in this episode, and that it helps change your life for the better, in Jesus' name. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for that amazing round of indifference. Let's try that again. Good morning, everybody. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Um, Keris and I have really enjoyed being with you on this church weekend, Go Tell the World. And uh, it, this church is clearly full of some wonderful human beings. Uh, it's, it's been a real pleasure. I'm not just saying that. And um, I just have this sense of your welcome, your love, your joy as a, a church community. And Keris and I both have this sense of anticipation that your best days are still ahead of you and you have something to really treasure and look after here and um, trust me i don't do flattery just ask Harris. Uh, i i am genuinely wanting to encourage you the spirit of god is here and doing something in this community that is very precious it is not like that in all churches just so you know and so you need to treasure what you have and how do you treasure what you have? You give it away. That's right. That's the principle right at the heart of the Christian gospel. If you want to find your life, you'll lose it. But if you want, if you lose your life, you will find it because we give it to Christ. And he is the way, the truth and the life. Right at the heart of the gospel is this idea that we are blessed in order to be a blessing, to freely receive so that we freely give. The way you treasure what God is doing now is you keep giving it away. You keep making self-sacrifices. You keep preferring the people who aren't in the room, the least, the little, the lost. You keep giving it away, and God will do abundantly more than all you can ask or imagine. Seek first his kingdom, and everything else will be added unto you. If you go after the everything else, the fellowship, the things you like, you lose it. You seek first his kingdom and you get everything in as, a, in, in as well. That's not what I'm going to preach about this morning, but I just wanted to say right at the start, there is something precious here and the way not to lose it is to keep giving it away. Just turn to the person next to you and say, right, we've got that. Keep giving everything away, right? Okay. So since... Since I was 16 years old, I have been transfixed by the person of Jesus. I've been a follower of him for over 40 years. And over those 40 years, I have kept asking one question. And that is simply, who is this man? What's he like? How does he think? How does he react in, in different situations? Because you see, as a follower of Jesus, I'm trying to work out what he was like then so that in some way I might live like that now. On this church weekend, some of us went to a barn dance last night uh, and it was a lot of laughs. I am um, not an accomplished barn dancer, it has to be said, but I was strutting my stuff last night with the best of them. And I got to dance with my auntie Pam. How lovely is that? Yeah, no, it was, it was really great. And, and you see, Pam is my dad's sister and my dad passed away five years ago and thank you and uh, as I was as I was dancing with Pam as we were talking during the day as we were laughing about different things 
there are expressions of hers which are exactly like my dad's. She laughs at things like my dad did. There's an expression in her eyes which reminds me of her, my dad. And when I got down from speaking yesterday, Pam said to me, oh, you're so like your father. <laughs> <laughs> and so in that moment, memories of Malcolm Donald Hickford, the man who still is my benchmark for what it means to be a Christian man, he, we, we just kind of saw him in each other. That's what it means to be church. That, that's what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus. That informed by the Gospels and the stories of Jesus, filled by the spirit of Jesus, over time, the bits that don't look like Jesus in our lives get knocked off. And we become, as Paul says, the fragrance of Christ to one another, to our communities. That there should be something about the way we are together as church, which has a whiff of Jesus about it that we, we look like him, sound like him. We can't do this on our own, but the Spirit's work in us makes us this kind of healing community, this precious thing that I was talking about that we're called to give away. And so this morning, we're going to take another look at a story of Jesus because uh, we want him to inform the way we live so that the world might be changed. And I completely understand that there are people here this morning and watching online who, who aren't in any way convinced like I am that Jesus Christ is Lord. You might be critical of Christianity. You might be curious about Jesus. You might be committed. I don't know where you're on that journey. Um, I know that some of you don't buy into the presuppositions that I bring to this this morning, presuppositions about the reliability of the Bible's historical um, narrative, uh, presuppositions about that Jesus is actually alive and here by his Spirit. I know you don't buy into that stuff, and I don't expect you to, but I do invite you to listen in, and I invite you to ask two questions. Is the Jesus we read about here good? And is he wise? And if he's those two things, what's your next step in finding out more about him? Anyway, let's crack on with our stories this morning. We are going to look at two stories from the Bible, which we have somehow separated with a chapter heading. I don't know if you know this, but some scribe in the fourth century decided to chop the Gospels up into chapters. And Luke was a genius editor, and he put these two stories together for a purpose, as we will see. And four, and four centuries later, it went straight over the head of the scribe, and he just put a chapter section in the middle. We're going to read two stories, and uh, we're going to see how this Jesus inspires us to live differently now. So the thing that links this, these two stories together is that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he knows what's waiting for him there. And so he passes through the city of Jericho. And the first story happens as he's going in, and the second story uh, happens as he's going out. And in the first story, he's encou he encounters someone who is living a terribly oppressed life. And in the second story, he, he encounters someone who is one of the oppressors. So let's pick this up. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, the first thing to say is that Luke um, doesn't tell us his name, but Mark's gospel tells this story, and we find out that his name is Bartimaeus. That really means son of Timaeus, because bar in Hebrew means son, so we'll just call him Bart. 
So a blind man called Bart was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, in those days, there was no welfare state. There was no social services. This man was born blind. He lived an oppressed life. There was no provision for him, so he had to make his living begging. If you're going to be a beggar, you have to live um, uh, where the maximum footfall is going to be to have any chance of surviving. So he has positioned himself just outside the city gate where everybody is traveling in and traveling out. And then in verse 36, it says, he heard a crowd going by and he asked what was happening. In the ancient Near East, when a celebrity was coming to town, uh, the crowd would go out to meet them. The more important the celebrity was, the further they'd go out of town. And uh, we know that Jesus was the hottest ticket in town. He'd been uh, healing the sick, casting out demons. He'd been commanding thousands with his oratory. Um, he, he was a compelling person. And so a huge crowd goes out to meet Jesus, hoping he's going to stay in their city, Jericho, on the way through. And so um, blind Bartimaeus asks what uh, is happening, and they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Notice what they, the crowd tell him. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. What does Bartimaeus do? Verse 38, he calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led, who led the way at the front of the crowd rebuked him and told him to be quiet. Literally, it's shut your mouth. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. What's going on there? The, the, the crowd tell blind Bartimaeus, it's Jesus of Nazareth. But Bartimaeus shout, shouts out, Jesus, son of David. And the crowd then tell him to shut his mouth. What's the dynamic going on there? Well, do you remember the Christmas story? Do you remember when the Magi visited Herod? And they said, we've come to see the king of the Jews. What happened then? It was genocide. All the babies under a certain age were killed because Herod was absolutely paranoid and neurotic about his place of power. To shout out Jesus, son of David, was an incredibly dangerous thing to do. And the crowd partly respond out of fear. Shut your mouth. Jericho was the place where Herod had his summer palace after all. So they're frightened about it. But there's also something else about Bartimaeus. You see, he li lived his life as a completely oppressed person. If you were a pious Jew, nothing defiled could honor God. You couldn't offer a defiled sacrifice. If you had a Levite with additional needs, they could never become a priest because the whole idea of this elite Jewish religion was that everything had to be perfect to praise God. And so a blind man couldn't do that. So not only is Bartimaeus oppressed economically, he's oppressed religiously as well. And so with contempt, they say, oh, shut up. Bartimaeus has grasped something. Jesus is the son of David. He is the real awaiting king of Israel. He has seen something spiritually, even though his eyes are blind. And so they told him to shut up, <laughs> but he shouted all the more. Now, Bartimaeus has got one really good thing going for him here. He's got a cracking pair of lungs. He can shout. 
And that was really important for a beggar because number one, you had to get people's attention. But in a pious religious culture where Jews were expected to give to a beggar, they wanted to give to a beggar who would shout gratitude as they walked down the road. And they would grow in their social standing the more he shouted, thank you, thank you. How generous of you, how wonderful of you. So a good pair of lungs was essential for his job uh, for two reasons. And that's why he made his living. Son of David, have mercy on me. This a religiously oppressed man has glimpsed something of who this Jesus is. So Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. Now, hold on. The, the crowd are angry and they're frightened. They're saying to him, shut your mouth, Bartimaeus. So what does Jesus do? He now positions himself between the oppressed man and the mob. He identifies with the one they're telling to shut up. And he actually turns around because, remember, he's the celebrity. He's the one the crowd have come out to see. And he turns that around and says, um, could you bring Bartimaeus to me? That's a bit embarrassing. They've just been telling him, telling him to shut his mouth, and now they've got to take him to Jesus. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Anyway, so... When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. I find it interesting that Jesus asked that question. He wasn't taking it as an assumption that blind Bartimaeus wanted to receive his sight. Blindness was everything he knew. Was he prepared to let go of everything he was familiar with? Yes, he was. Lord, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. You see, the faith of Bartimaeus was visible. It was visible in what he'd shouted, son of David, had mercy on me. It was visible in that he believed in the compassion of Jesus. It was visible that he believed in the power of Jesus, that this Jesus could heal him. Faith is always visible, as we were looking at yesterday. But we've always got to be careful about the location at that faith. So often I've heard in the Christian circles, oh, if only we've got faith, this miracle will happen. Faith isn't about us. It's about the one we put our faith in. It's because Bartimaeus knew that Jesus was his only hope. That's why he's commended about faith. Whenever you hear um, anything in the Christian world talking about your faith, just remember it's all about who we have faith in that is the defining factor. Lord, I want to see, and then in the most understated way, this isn't one of those big razzmatazz healings, Jesus, son of God, miracle worker, and I appreciate that if you're exploring Christianity at the moment, this is a big stretch, but trust me, you've got a bigger stretch, because if he is the son of God, he rose from the dead, and that's a whole together different story, but anyway, Christians believe that this Jesus is the son of God, he has miraculous divine powers, in a very understated way, he says, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his fight, sight and followed Jesus. And now those good pair of lungs come in handy as now he's praising God with all his might. And when all the people saw it, this angry crowd is now praising God too. It's a great story, isn't it? You've all heard it before. But what we probably haven't done is linked it with the next story. So, oh, let's go. Oh, wrong one. Ah, there we go. So forget fourth century chapter headings. Luke intended to put these two stories together. One was on the way into Jericho. The other one's on his way out. 
Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Notice that description. If you lived, you know, we talk about the um, cost of living crisis and it's serious. But if you lived in the time of Jesus, historians estimate that between 30 and 40% of your income would go on taxes. 40% of your income. Because you see, there was a, a Jewish um, temple tax, and then there were three different Roman taxes, one kind of on goods, one on transport. Um, there was another one I can't remember, but there were three taxes. And basically, the Romans worked a tax farming system. They got collaborators from among the Jews, and they siphoned it off. They said, as long as you gather, us, uh, gather taxes for us, we're not going to ask how much you earn. And so basically, these tax collectors were corrupt. There are records of them smuggling. There are records of them exploiting their fellow Jews unbelievably so that they were paying a huge tax burden, which even the Romans didn't put on them. They were so hated that the Jewish teachers of the law said it wasn't wrong to lie to a, a tax collector. And what's more, Zacchaeus isn't just a tax collector, he's a chief of tax collectors. So in this whole tax farming system, he's the corrupt of the corrupt. He's, got, he's, he's taking a slice of everybody else's action as well. So he is, a, he, he is despised by the religious Jews. He is politically a, 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 you know, a collaborator. Um, and he is very, very wealthy. Some of you may, I was going to show the slide, but it's too horrible. But some of you may have seen when the Allies got into France and the Germans were pushed out of France in 1944, I think it is. Um, you'll have seen what they did to the women who had dated German soldiers. Because they, the French people had lived under such violence and such oppression for so long that when the Nazis were driven out, they got these women, they stripped them, they shaved their heads publicly, they beat them. And that was just for dating a German soldier. When a, when a people, when a nation live under oppression and violence and injustice, when they have been invaded and they get together, there is a mob rage which can be awful. And that is the background to what happens here. The problems of Zacchaeus, for those of you who know the story, was not that he was short. The problem of Zacchaeus was that he was caught up a tree and had nowhere to go. Let's read on with the story. This Zacchaeus, rich, powerful, oppressor, not the oppressed, he wants to see Jesus. And because he was short and could not see over the crowd, he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree. <laughs> the Jews were so pious that they wouldn't have trees allowed in the village because that might associate with unclean things. If you've got branches near the ground, all sorts of horrible things could happen there. Um, and so um, the Talmud said you had to have trees outside the village. So G that's Zacchaeus has run outside the village, outside of Jericho, and, uh, city really, and climbed up this sycamore tree since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hold on. How does Jesus know Zacchaeus' name? 
Kenneth Bailey, who lived his whole life in the Middle East and is a brilliant commentator on New Testament, he says that what is likely was that somebody else saw Zacchaeus up the tree first. This collaborator, this guy who's doing us over time and time again, this guy who is just a friend of the Romans, this guy who hates his own brother Jews, this guy who makes me struggle to feed my family, he's up a tree and we know a big crowd is now surrounding him. Zacchaeus is in danger of his life. And Jesus says, because he's probably heard, I mean, Jesus could know his name. I mean, for goodness sake, he's just healed the blind man. Jesus can do anything. But what about the idea that the crowd are shouting his name? And Jesus finds out his name through the crowd. We're invited to use our imaginations reading these stories and filling in the gaps. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. He has just come through Jericho. Jericho wanted Jesus to stay, but he said, no, I've got to go to Jerusalem. He sees Zacchaeus, the collaborator, and then he does the outrageous. He invites himself to dinner. That's pretty rude now. If so, try it after church. You know, just go up and say, oh, I'm coming, to, I'm coming to your place for tea. See what reaction you get. It's a lot worse in those days, I'm telling you. Jesus is breaking every cultural norm. What's going on? Do you see? With Bartimaeus, Jesus stood between the oppressed and the crowd. And now when the crowd wants Zacchaeus' blood, Jesus positions himself between the oppressor and the crowd. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once. I bet he did. <laughs> he was thinking, how the heck? I'm going to be up here for days if this crowd is going to want my blood. He comes down immediately because he sees his chance for safety and welcomes him gladly. You, you know, this Zacchaeus, in, uh, Jesus is in more than one way Zacchaeus' saviour. All the people saw this and began to mutter. J J two minutes ago, the crowd are singing Jesus' praises. He's just healed Bartimaeus. They've come through within the city. They want to follow him to Jerusalem. This Jesus is amazing. And now they are absolutely livid. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. That Jesus is now responsible for somebody else's crimes because he is siding with the collaborator. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Somehow, Zacchaeus takes on board that he has received grace. Freely we've received, freely we give. And even if this is exaggerated, he is marking here that from this point on, his life is going to be different. And Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Oh man, did the crowd hate him for that. No wonder they're baying for his blood a few days later. And verse 10 of Luke 19, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Another great story. And can you see how those two stories work together and how Luke intended them to work together? 
So what do we say uh, to this? How do we respond? It's time to step back and look at the two stories. Notice what Jesus did. With Bartimaeus, Jesus stood between the oppressed and the crowd. And when the crowd were shouting at him, shut your mouth, Jesus says, bring him to me. Jesus welcomes the excluded man before he deals with what excluded him. With Zacchaeus, Jesus stood between the oppressor and the crowd. The crowd hated the collaborator and the thief. And Jesus invites himself to his house and in doing so offers him very profound acceptance. In both stories, Jesus embraces the sinner before the sinner repents. With both men, he gives respect before they become respectable. Whether the oppressed or the oppressor, Jesus' instinct was to protect them, to identify with them and meet their need for wholeness. At a political level today, I think these two stories taken together should say to every follower of Jesus, we have to be very wary of popularism. We live in incredibly divisive times. We have three by-elections to look forward to now this weekend. Whoopee. We see the bitterness of our political divide in Westminster, even between parties, let alone between right and left. A recent prime minister is no longer even an MP. A recent president is charged with more crimes. A huge war in Europe off the back of a pandemic and Brexit and security saying, services saying, don't forget China's the bigger threat than Russia. There's a growing gap between rich and poor. There's a growing gap in the cost of living crisis, bitter political divides, huge, huge divides around human identity and gender. The whole Black Lives Matter movement, important, the even more police forces recognizing institutional racism. There are divides between young and old, north and south. We live in incredibly divided times. We live in a world where there are plenty of justifiable reasons for people to be very angry. And popularism seeks to exploit that anger for its own ends. Politicians and the media alike have a grave responsibility to respond to people's anger without fueling it. Let me say that again, to respond to what makes people angry without fueling it. And many of our current politicians and media fall well short of that because they know that fueling that anger gets them a supporter base and gets their news outlets read. Let's remember that when mobs are angry, because that's what popularism is, you're feeding the mob, they, their anger is dangerously irrational. After all, it was a mob that had Jesus crucified and had a murderer freed. That's how irrational, angry mobs get when that anger simmers over into collective action. We would do well to remember that Jesus put himself between the mob and the oppressed, but also the mob and the oppressor. We should always stand against any politician and leader who demonizes any people group to boost their popularity or is deliberately divisive to play to their own supporter base. Jesus was a protector and he wanted his people to be protective too. Do you hear me about popularism? 
That wasn't very encouraging. Did you hear me about popularism? All right, some thumbs up. But, the, and this is, I long for anybody exploring Christianity just to listen in and lean into this bit. But Jesus doesn't stop there in this story. He goes on to provide a complete solution for every division that divides our culture, our society, our world, our families. Let me explain. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 couldn't be clearer. The reason Jesus came was to seek and save the lost. This text is a powerful passage about what the church exists for and how it's to go about its task. Any church that professes to follow Jesus needs to look no further than this verse for its purpose and mission. The church of Jesus Christ exists to seek and save lost people. We are to go tell the world. And this passage is very clear that the impoverished, uneducated Bartimaeus and the educated, rich oppressor Zacchaeus, they are both equally lost. The church is the only institution in the world that exists for the benefit of our non-members. Our task is to seek and save lost people. And if you're not a Christian at the moment listening in on this and you're objecting to being called lost, hold on because you'll see what, how I'm defining that in a moment or two. If that was not challenging enough for the church, how Jesus went about seeking and saving lost people is even more challenging for us today. What does he do in these stories? Jesus embraces the excluded man before he deals with what made him excluded. Jesus embraces the sinner before the sinner repents. Both men, he gives respect before they become respectable. We are having to rethink traditional models of church because our models of church we inherited are more like the Pharisees than they were Jesus. It used to be that the thought that the, the way that people journeyed to faith was you, you had to believe, behave, belong. And Jesus seems to suggest in this approach that what we need to do as a church is think about how do people belong, then come to believe, and then hopefully behave. He reverses the whole thing because he reverses religious thinking. Let's think about this a bit more carefully. What does it mean for the church to seek and save the lost? The best of the Pharisees and Jesus had a lot in common. They were both trying to live for the glory of God. They both believed in the authority of the Old Testament, and they tried faithfully to live to it. Pharisees and Jesus both believed in Israel as God's chosen people. And Pharisees and Jesus both believed that God would act decisively in the future to rescue his people. And yet Jesus was very, very rude about the Pharisees, and the Pharisees eventually got Jesus killed. Why? Well, one of the things that divided them was that the Pharisees considered excluding people as part of their religious duty, and Jesus saw it as entirely the opposite, to include people. If the Pharisees were going to keep the idea of God's faithful people under Roman occupation, they somehow had to keep God's chosen people pure and uncontaminated. And so they took upon themselves to cast out of the religious elite anybody who didn't meet up to those standards. For Jesus, the approach was exactly the opposite. Jesus had a completely different idea about what being faithful to God looked like. It was to live a life of love, reaching out to people who did not live a religious life, becoming a friend of sinners, entering their world, eating their food, going to their parties, staying at their houses. For the Pharisees, this would have looked like cheap grace, a compromise of holiness. 
Um, Pharisees preached at people as sinners and thought of themselves as religiously superior. They despised Jesus because he, he looked to them like a partner in other people's crimes. For Jesus, holiness was a matter of forgiveness from God and a changed heart, not a question of external religious behavior. You see, for Jesus, there was one divide that was more important than any other. Above all the political, religious, racial, gender, and economic divisions, Jesus said there is only one division that really counts, and that is the division between a holy God and a sinful people. And we are all lost people. And in that division, we are all in the same boat. Before a holy God, we're all lost. We're all sinful. We're all on the same side. We all need a savior. Jesus came to cross the divide, to come over to the wrong side, if you like, to pay its price, shoulder its cost, and break its barriers to set us free. What unites us all and every person on the planet is that we all need the grace of God. We're all in need of a savior. And that eclipses every other division. Because when anybody on any of those divides recognizes that, and we come to Christ, we have a unity, unity which transcends all those divisions. Jesus has no woolly kind of concept of inclusion on any basis. Everyone is invited but to that you have to repent of your sin to come. After all, if you don't own your sin, you can't rightfully give it away for him to deal with it. So our, church, our task as a church in seeking and saving the lost is to embrace the excluded person before dealing with what makes them excluded, to embrace the sinner before the sinner repents, to give people respect because they are respectable, because we are all lost before a holy God. We all need his grace. Not to water down the message of the gospel in any way. The cross of Christ will always be offensive. We all need his forgiveness. It will stick in the throat of many. But without watering down the message, to enfold people in the love of Christ, irrespective of whether they turn to Jesus as Savior or not. This is the way of Jesus. To be anything less than this, is to be a Pharisee. So to be a faithful church today, as I come into land, because I think you're probably thinking, when's he going to finish? I'm finishing in two minutes, okay? So just listen to this. To be a faithful church today, if we're really going to follow Jesus, makes everything a heck of a lot more messy. A heck of a lot more messy where the call to repentance is never compromised, but at the same time, everybody is embraced and welcome. The great reformer Martin Luther once said about the Christian who wants to be among friends all the time, amongst uh, in ch with church people all the time. He said this, oh, you blasphemers and you betrayers of Christ. He was never one for the understatement. If Christ had done what you were doing, who would ever have been spared? Mm. If we're going to follow Jesus, church is just going to get messier and messier. Never watering down the cost of the cross and the call to repentance, but embracing 
everyone. Finish with a story. A long time ago, there was a young uh, black boy walking with his mother through the streets of Soweto in apartheid South Africa. And uh, a tall white man in a white suit with a white hat uh, with, um, came, came charging down the road and bumped into the little boy's mother and knocked her to the floor. And in apartheid South Africa, normally he would just walk on. And at that moment, the man uh, stopped. He helped this lady uh, to her feet. Uh, she, he checked that he was all right. And then he took off his hat and he bowed very, very low to this woman and said, please forgive me. And the little boy says in his memoir, I looked up and I saw that this man had a dog collar on and I decided to inquire about Christianity. That little boy was Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And when we talk about go tell the world, really, we have to go show the world. The only place that people are going to understand where all the divisions of our world get transcended by all of us recognizing the one division, that God is holy and we are not, the only place they'll see that is here in the church. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. And that's why Paul, and I really do finish with this, Go tell the world, become show the world, because Paul in Galatians says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, he bridges all the divides of the world. Go tell the world. Let's go show the world. God bless you. Think of someone you consider to be excluded. How can you include them in some way? If you are a follower of Jesus, how does his priority of seeking and saving lost people work out practically in your life? What does it cost you? What does it add to your life? What admirable character qualities of Jesus are revealed in these two stories? What do you want to say to him about those qualities? Taking notes while Andy was talking, I was just reading back through them.
So three really good questions there, and and maybe not very easy questions just to give you know very quick answers to. But let's look at that um, third question, which was um, what are the qualities of Jesus um, revealed in those two stories, um, and what do you want to say to him about those qualities? And the one thing that hit me in that story, which I've never thought about, um, is the story of Zacchaeus, is that Jesus is walking along and um, and it's going really well. And, and, and they're all shouting and, and cheering his name and the rest of it. And he stops for one man. And then it, it, it just, everybody that's with him, it all of a sudden sort of turns mm -hmm. um, that one person. I'm just thinking, if that was us and it was church and church is going really well and everybody's you know, on board and the rest of it, if there was one person and we knew it's going to upset everybody, would we stop for that one person and I just wonder whether we would or whether we think you know actually we've got a hundred people with us that are, are with us and we don't want to upset the hundred so we'll just ignore that it was just a yeah you know it's it's, it's, a, it's a real challenge isn't it no absolutely right it is and I, I love the way that we put those two stories together so you know yeah. the, the sort, of, sort of Jesus was um you know, ministering to loving showing grace to the oppressed Bartimaeus who was the blind was oppressed and then also to the oppressor, because I think sometimes we think, well, I hope we don't ever think that some people are not beyond the gospel, but but you know, Jesus isn't for everybody. And we know in our we know in our hearts that Jesus is for everybody. Yeah. Or is it in our heads? But you know, but sometimes I think we think, oh, you know, they're they're a bit beyond, yeah. or you know, yeah. I think we might think. Yeah, and you might think about our politicians, you know, for instance, and think, oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, do, do yeah, you know, yeah, no, absolutely, a terrible yeah. thing to say, and then sort of think that they're beyond. Yeah. And I think sometimes we are more likely to think that they are beyond God's grace yeah. than the oppressed. Yeah. I think we I think we find it easier to re to recognize that Jesus wants to be um friend friend of sinners if you like or, or friend of say, the oppressed the the hungry the hurting the the sad the lonely. I think yeah. we find that easy. Yeah. But to recognize that Jesus grace extends to the powerful and the mighty. Yeah. In exactly the same way. Um, yeah. I, I yeah. think we we know it, but I don't think we live that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And my final thought was just, I, I love the idea that, you know, the, the, the world is so divisive. We are so divided. And, and Andy went through the list, not going to go through it again, but, you know, rich, poor, you know, culturally, you know, gender. And all that. You know, there's so many divisions. And yet we are all the same because we all need Jesus. Mm. And that sort of transcends all the other divides. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, once you've got to the stage of knowing you need Jesus and all the other divisions become fairly immaterial, yeah, really. Yeah. It's, it's a need for Jesus. It's the all important. Yeah. Name. And I, something else that I just thought came back. He said a line um, that you need to own your own sin, because if you don't own your sin, how can you give it to Jesus? You know, we need to recognize all of us. And I love the fact that that unites us all. You said that, yeah. you know, that we are all sinners. We all need Jesus. And we don't like the word sin particularly. But, you know, we all know that relationship with God isn't what it should yeah. be. Yeah. Um, but until we recognise that, we can't hand it over and, and turn around yeah. and yeah, yeah. If you are online and you want to just put one um, thing that you got from that sermon on the chat, we we yeah. just mentioned three or four different things. There's, yeah. there's maybe one thing Andy said um, that you want to share on the chat, and just just write it in, um, just a quick thing, because that would yeah. be really good to share with yeah. one another. You know, if you're watching yeah. on catch up, you might in the comments yeah. um, on the YouTube video. Yeah. So Great. brilliant. I hope you really enjoyed that. Um, and, yeah. and more than enjoy that. I hope that that inspires us really to yeah, and challenges us and challenges yeah. to move on. Yeah, yeah, good. Uh, we're coming to a close, I think. Yeah. 
I think we've got a song, but I haven't written down. <laughs> I haven't written we've down got a song. It, <laughs> <laughs> it was a good one. I remember choosing it, but I can't what it was. What, what was the song? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yes, it was a good one. I knew it was because you, when I chose it, you said, oh, that's a really good one. So we thought we'd close our time together uh, with In Christ Alone. Oh, it is a good song. <laughs> <laughs> You'd say that. And I, th I think just stopping that, you know, that is where our hope is found. Yeah. And these two stories, so you've got the, the blind man um, and you've got the really, you know, the rich oppressor. Um, and yet for both of them, their hope was found in Jesus. Yeah. Um, and for each one of us, wherever we are today, whatever this week holds, whatever we're facing, um, whatever situation we find ourselves in, we know that our hope is in Jesus and that Jesus is there for each and every one of us. And we are all loved exactly the same. We are all treated exactly the same. But our need is exactly the same. And we need to stop and recognise that. So as we go, remember yeah. that our hope is found in Jesus. Yeah. Have good weeks. Have good weeks. Um, yeah. We'll see, see you, you next, next week. week. Take care. Take care. Bye. That was today's episode of Holy Baptist Church Podcast. We hope it's prompted you to want to follow Jesus, hopefully a lot, but even just a little bit more closely. If you have any questions about what you've heard in today's episode or you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, you can email us, gotquestions at holybaptist.org.uk. We'd love to hear from you. It would really make our day. If you want to hear more from us, just a reminder, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you can download the Holy Baptist Church app from the Apple App Store or Google Play to hear it as well. Simply search Holy Baptist Church. Thank you again for listening to Holy Baptist Church Podcast. We pray God will bless you and we'll see you next time.